0: Together, we will win. Now, here's your hosts, Dave Stahl, Joe Dremisi, and Michael Schwartz on The Answer San Diego.
1: All right, folks, welcome to You Know It Gun Owners Radio, FM 961, AM 1170. The Answer. All right. Hey, if you have legal matters that involve firearms, then you need to call our attorney, John Dillon. If you have questions about red flag laws, gun registration, gun transportation, or maybe you just need to know that your guns are California compliant, call our trusted firearms attorney, John Dillon. John Dillon specializes in California gun laws. Call 760-642-7150, or you can visit his website at dillonlawgp.com.
2: So, what you got, son? I'm eating a piece of candy that Jackson gave well,
1: me. Well, I figured
2: you would be snacking. <laughs> the <It laughs> season. How's it going, Jackson? Thanks for the candy, man. Yeah, You're thanks,
1: welcome. buddy. Appreciate it. You're welcome.
2: And he got me a gun. You need a gun. Yeah. No 10-day wait period for this one. Nope.
1: Yeah, no 10-day <laughs> wait. I love that. By the <laughs> way, have you noticed we have the clock
2: back? Oh, we got the clock back? Did we win that battle? Uh, more than you know. Wow. <clears throat> <clears throat> yes, I thought you, you weren't did. allowed to have clocks. Don't start. It took it. You would
1: not believe what it took to get the clock. Get the clock. Yeah,
2: (laughs) yeah. That's right. Well, you gotta. You know what? You gotta draw a line sometimes, Dave. There are times. I think it's because of my age. You just start yelling Attica, and yeah,
1: (laughs) I start getting grumpier as I get
2: older, and I, I can get
1: more things by. I always never thought you could get more things by yelling, but seems to be working quite well.
2: <laughs> Actually. I'll make a list. Make a list. <laughs> Congratulations to Oliver Richards on winning the Fen- uh, Fenrir USA Plate Carrier Vest, $150 value. Oh, wow. He was one of the folks that got our first digital collectible at the Christmas party. All of them will receive some palm pepper spray, too. Oliver, I think Oliver's, uh, I think that's Claire's husband. Claire's uh, one of our board members. Hmm. Who's going to be a mama in about a month? Here, uh, she was walking around the. Um, she was she was, pregnantly walking around the uh, the Christmas party. I think that's this. I think that's Oliver. If that's Oliver, if that's you, send me a text.
1: Oliver would be wandering around.
2: No, well, he would. No, no, His Oliver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oliver was uh, wandering next. She to was the waddler. That's right. Waddler. <laughs> that's positive. <laughs> So the Christmas parties were awesome the uh, Inland Empire party was awesome. Uh, the uh, Orange County party was well attended and uh, a lot of fun wasn't it, it had, awesome was it, all, yeah. it was awesome as well it too was awesome. It was uh, up until it rained. <laughs> it was an outdoor backyard oh. uh, party and then it started raining and everybody said all right time to go and yeah. that was uh, I had to get had to jump in the topless jeep and oh. drive down <laughs> in about 50 degree weather. Uh, in, in the it. pouring rain. Well, you're a jeepster. So. That's right. <laughs> That's you got to do it. You ever done that, Jackson?
3: Thankfully not.
2: Thankfully not. <laughs> That's right.
1: All right. Hey, you haven't lived till you've tried
2: it. You can wash your hair. You don't even have to jump in the shower. It's great. Something happens yeah. at about 35 miles per hour where rain just, like it's like you're going too fast for the rain to hit you. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know what the aerodynamics, I mean, you know how aerodynamic a jeep is. Oh, yeah, a brick. Yeah, so. Yeah. But it was cool, and the San Diego party was?
3: Amazing.
2: Oh, uh, were You were there? Yeah. Did you like it? Indeed. Did you see some of your friends? Yep. Did you see Brittany from Glock Store? Yep. Yeah, she tried to get you and I to do a dance-off. We didn't do it, though. It didn't work, huh? I don't think, I wasn't confident in my, uh, my abilities. I think you probably would have won. So, so yeah, man. Everything's uh, going swimmingly. What are you doing? What do you, you got Christmas plans, Dave?
1: Uh... Haven't been told <laughs> you don't you do, but I you have picked. been to two dog Christmas parties so
2: far, which were just ecstatic. A dog Christmas party that's all we're gonna go. And on. not only have you been to one, but you've been to two, and there's another one coming. You're gonna be I've gone to three, I've never even heard of it. and You're gonna go to three, <sighs> yes, that's
4: what I have been
2: told. Well, wow. Joe, so. what do you
4: got going on for Christmas,
2: man? Uh, the Dog usual Christmas, stuff, party.
4: Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve, though, we have our, uh, if we do it again this year, it'll be a tradition because you got to go at least two years for a tradition. Yeah. But, uh, no, we're going to make, my son's coming over. We're going to make a big pot of sauce and meatballs and sausage and ravioli. Uh, that's pretty so do that's that cool. Christmas Eve
2: mm-hmm. wow. and go.
4: Christmas Day be the usual dinner stuff. Eat all day. Pretty much. For two days now. Are those pugs?
2: They are pugs. I've got them.
1: God. God's, God's breed. breed. We have two coming to our house. For the holidays.
4: You're very fortunate.
2: Your your shirts like a dog Christmas party, right? It is. there.
1: I know. And yeah. one of them is only a year old. It goes 382 miles an hour, <laughs> and then the other one doesn't go very fast at all. He's an older guy, so we're going to see <laughs> how this works out with dachshunds. All right. Right. which I have just been told we we're having them for Christmas. Yeah, pugs are great. It's
4: the apex predators. They're is that right. what they are? Fun to have. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what about you, Jackson? What are
2: you doing for you? Santa Claus coming? Yep. Yeah. Did you ask for anything cool for Christmas?
3: Heroes of good do a galaxy attack.
2: That's exactly what I asked for, too. We'll see which one. If I get it and you don't, I'll let you play with mine and vice versa, okay? Okay. How about that? Just for ammo? No. Am- you didn't ask for ammunition? He's got plenty. <laughs> he
1: doesn't need to ask for ammo.
2: <laughs> so. so went and did Guns and Moses this morning. Our Guns, and Moses, awesome. uh, Guns and Moses It was awesome. Guns and Moses, our shooting social for Guns and Moses is always, always, always a lot of fun. Uh, my student did really, really well. She's actually come to, I think this is her third or fourth, and she keeps getting better and better and more and more confident, mm-hmm. and uh, I think next step is she's going to buy a gun. There you go. Yeah. I don't usually, you know, I usually run it. I don't get to work with students. And, I was uh, going to
1: just say, what are you doing working with students?
2: Having fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah.
1: And I thought Guns and Moses were all guys, no?
2: Nope, no, nope. no. Actually, it's co-ed? Uh, yeah, it's co-ed, but it's usually about fifty-fifty. Oh, I'll be there.
1: I don't know why, for some reason, I thought it was, you know, just
2: all guys. In fact, the the shooting socials, even like I'm not just the general shooting socials, are sixty seventy percent women. Uh, like unintentionally, we no just kidding. we just put it out there to anybody. And- well, look
1: at not me SD. I mean, I mean, I know that is all women, but look at the attendance you guys have had. Just in the short time that's been around.
2: Over 500 women have now successfully completed the program.
1: That is really a mark. Isn't that cool? I think it's just off the charts, truly. So, yeah. Which you do know I'm donating an hour to Not Me SD next Sunday.
2: I heard the day after Christmas.
1: I just felt a need. You know, I mean, when we bring them in here, I mean, even though we have a two-hour show, I just think that program is so important that I think they could handle an hour.
2: I think so too. I know yeah. uh, Des- bringing in Desi, right? Yeah, Desi,
1: and I don't know if uh, Wendy. Uh, Wendy Wendy's coming in or not, but I know Desi
2: is. schmike I think I think well, good. I think the plan might be for well, Wendy to call in.
1: She yeah, can call Desi in talk can right. talk like
2: for five hours. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> not even. I
1: mean, I have no problem with her coming in because she can talk.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so that'll
1: be good. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So we that, have so twenty twenty
2: two is going to be uh, rock and rolling. It's going to be a big year. It truly <laughs> is. It's going to be a big in year. In more ways, more ways than not, right? Yeah. Well, I, I think it's going to be a real positive year. I think you're going to, uh, as far as the packs go, San Diego and Orange, and Inland Empire, you're going to see uh, expansion. Mm-hmm. As far as our Not Me program, you're going to see um, expansion um, and uh, a little bit more, uh, we're going to formalize it. I think it's going to, we're going to spin it off into its own 501c3. Very good. Um, so, uh, and then you're going to hopefully see we're going to work on L.A. and Bay Area and get get packs and those. You're going to work on the Bay Area. Work on the Bay Can Area. I go Somebody's watch? got to. Can I yeah. go watch that? <laughs> Somebody's got to. That's what I want to see.
1: Hey, our, uh, I know 22's coming up right around the corner. Uh, do we have anybody locally that's going to be running for office? Are you going to be doing anything in there? Oh,
2: yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, June, what do we got in
1: 22 down here?
2: So June is uh, the primary, and we'll have a voter guide ready ah. for June. And then November, we're going to have a lot of elections. Most of the elections that we're going to endorse in happen in November. Right. Um, a lot of the city councils don't have a, uh, a primary. So mm-hmm. should I'll be exciting. Here. Very exciting.
1: All right. Hey, folks, don't go anywhere. Let's see if I can ruin this. We're going to have... Jake Whiskerchan yep. on with Red Flag Laws on Gun Owners Radio. FM 96.1 AM
3: 1170.
1: The answer. Alright folks, welcome back to Gun
4: Owners Radio FM 96.1 AM 1170.
3: The answer.
4: Jake Whiskerchin from Walk the Talk America is up next to talk about myths and misconceptions around mental health and gun ownership. But first, self-defense
1: and emergencies can happen to anyone, and there's no guarantee that the justice system will be on your side. Make sure you are protected for the legal battle after your self-defense battle. And while you protect your family and property, U.S. Law Shield is here to defend you 24-7, 365 days a year with a comprehensive self defense coverage at an affordable price. Bad guys don't take days off, and neither does our coverage. Hey, listeners, you can get a free t shirt when you go when you use promo code GunOwnersRadio. So sign up today. Go to uslawshield.com.
2: So the theme for the month is mental health um, and we've had we've talked about uh, that with a few of our guests and our next guest, Jake Whiskerchen, is with Walk the Talk America and we're gonna talk to him about what Walk the Talk America is and uh, a little bit about red red flag laws. Jake, how you doing, man?
5: Gentlemen, it is absolutely my pleasure. I am doing fantastically up here in Reno, Nevada.
2: How are you both? Great. all doing well. Doing very, very well. Good. Yeah. So, tell us everything. What do we need to know? What exactly does Walk the Talk America do?
5: Well, I believe you're going to have its founder on in uh, the next segment, uh, but I'm going to give a brief overview. So, what we're trying to do is bridge the gap between firearms ownership and mental health. And the story is basically Mike founded the organization uh, following a, a tragedy in his own life, and he says we've, we've got to we've got to do something to eliminate firearm suicides. So at our core, we're a suicide prevention organization. But broadly, what we want to do is we want to invite firearms owners in to get the counseling care that they likely need to prevent such suicides. And along the way, you know, heal marriages and improve parenting and all sorts of things um, by demystifying what counseling is. And then along with that, we teach some cultural competence courses to clinicians so that they're better equipped to use proper language with gun owners when they come in to counseling. And we don't scare them off because a lot of us in my profession are a little bit ignorant, if not a lot ignorant about what it means to be a gun owner. And uh, so when I hooked up with Mike a couple of years ago, I thought this was a great opportunity, a great organization. And I had something to offer, but what it meant was I had to come out of the closet as a firearms owning clinician. And uh, I did so. And uh, it's, it's been great. I've I haven't looked back. It's been awesome. I've really integrated in the gun community and um so that's that's in a nutshell that's what we do. We offer lots of things and I can get into that if you'd like, but Well, what
2: ta- let's let's talk uh, about your background. You say what 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 does that mean to be a clinician or tell us everything there is to know about your background.
5: Sure. So, I'm licensed as a marriage and family therapist in the state of Nevada, and when we talk about mental health practitioners or mental health clinicians or mental health professionals, They're basically all interchangeable, but there are several different licenses that you can get to practice. One is marriage and family therapy. One is professional counselor. Another is clinical social worker. Everybody's heard of psychologists and psychiatrists. Mm -hmm. And uh, their license scopes allow them to do different things. I can't prescribe medicine. That's left to the psychiatrists. They are medical doctors. Um, But everybody else uh, basically does counseling, talk therapy, psychotherapy. We can call it a bunch of different things. And um, you get a license by the state to practice, that allows you typically to bill insurance. So I go into network with say Anthem or United or whatever, and you come into my place, you say, hey Jake, uh, you know I got a problem with whatever I got a problem with, let's sit down and talk about it. We formulate a treatment plan, and then we execute that treatment plan to a- attain the objectives to the goal. So if your goal is to stop drinking so much or be less angry or whatever, uh, we should be able to measure this over time. And then eventually you grow and uh, evolve and you get discharged just like we would with any other physical therapy uh, from, you know, surgery to, uh, you know, learn to play basketball again after an accident.
2: Wow. And what exactly, what, what is, I, I've heard that, I think you said psychotherapy and talk therapy and it sounded like you, those are the same thing. I'm, I'm hearing talk therapy a lot lately. What, what exactly is talk therapy and what's the difference between talk therapy and psychotherapy?
5: There isn't really. It's just a matter of preference with the person who's using the terminology. So uh, we could say counseling, too. It's the same type of thing. But essentially, you come in, uh, you, something's going sideways in your life, and it's not of a physical nature, right? Physical nature, we go to the primary care doctor, and we get some sort of other treatment plan, whether it's um, you know learning to uh, strengthen your hand, or uh, we give you some medicine, or we cast up your broken bone. Well, the analogy applies across the board, too something that's not of a physical nature it's of a mental nature right so this may be a series of patterned behaviors in your life that you're not uh, that you're not happy with it's not getting the results you want if you've been exposed to trauma history for example um, that's not something that doctor can just throw a pill at you and and get rid of you come into my shop and uh, you know one of my clinicians or myself will talk to you over a series of interactions and what we're doing is we're challenging your worldview we're challenging the way that you do things and offering new opportunities to look at the world change your behaviors um, and that can that can run the gamut from journaling to getting back into church to uh, being more intimate and you know with your with your spouse or whatever all to achieve your goal uh, so there's a lot of ways we can do that. My personal bailiwick tends to be emotional functioning. I've got a bunch of emotional functioning YouTube videos that I send out to everybody because I think I think really at the end of the day, even though I have the license to practice and I got all these, you know, this graduate degree and these thousands of hours, I believe that I can teach anybody to do this in their own life and I, ultimately I want to work myself out of a job. I don't want to just keep people in counseling in perpetuity so I, you know, pay my bills or whatever. I want to I want to see people healed. I want to live in a healthy community.
2: And and you're also you're. You, you, tell us about your gun background. Have you been a gun owner your whole life, or what's your what's your experience with uh, with firearms ownership?
5: I have, yeah. So I grew up in a family full of cops, and it's a it's a little bit of an interesting story. So I endeavored to be a police officer at one point myself, but uh, family full of cops always owned guns. We hunted. Uh, born and raised in Nevada, I'm fifth generation Reno, and. Uh, the gun was always seen as a tool for something. It was, it was never recreation. It wasn't sport. It wasn't competition. We didn't collect them. And so, for me, my guns just kind of stayed in the closet and came out whenever I needed to use them. You know, several years ago, I ended up getting my CCW permit here in Nevada and uh, started carrying. But then in 2019, uh, I have a friend here who operates his mother's range and retail store. It's called Reno Guns and Range. They're very, very good. And he and I have been friends since college, and we've been talking about this guns and mental health thing for quite some time. And one day he texted me, asked me if I knew of Walk the Talk America. I hadn't, looked him up. And I was hosting a mental health podcast at the time. I still have it. It's called Noggin Notes. And so I reached out to WTTA. Mike replied and uh, said, hey, you need to be on my podcast. This is a really cool topic. You guys are doing something that nobody else is doing. Uh, We hit it off. We became friends. And then I got immersed into the gun community. So our board of directors is very well established in the firearms community. Ashley Lubinsky, I know you yeah. just had her on the show a couple of weeks back. And we did. she's now on our board, um, along with Colleen Noir and uh, Rob Pinkus. And, and these guys have been, like, incredibly gracious in shepherd, shepherding me along through the culture. So, you know, when I went to SHOT a couple of years ago, it was like I walked in and I didn't really understand on culture because I wasn't a part of it, and then I, I went oh now I get it this is <laughs> this is like so multifaceted um, it was really easy for me to sink right in and um, and then I started teaching people what I know about mental health and how the two can coexist in the same space
2: interesting so how does the public understand mental health
5: I don't think they do um, I think I think we've got uh, several problems one is that we ourselves as clinicians as professionals have lived in the shadows for so long we end up perpetuating the stigma you hear all this stuff about mental health stigma and um, end the stigma well i th- i happen to believe that we contribute to a lot of that by doing things like uh, not not acknowledging our patients in public that's a, that's a big one that i think is is nonsense and we need to we need to end that you know, not, not acknowledging handle- like, if,
2: like if you're at the grocery store and you yeah, see one like- of your patients you Keep walking.
5: Yeah, they they actually yeah, they actually teach us this in grad school. It's like, you know, if you see your your patient in Costco, it's like turn your cart and go down the other aisle. Hmm. Um which nobody does that in any other profession that holds, you know, sensitive information. My dentist doesn't do that, my orthopedist doesn't do that, my attorney doesn't do that. So we, we make it we make it uncomfortable, we make it weird. Um so that's one thing. Wow, Culture and media historically have painted mental health in a bad light. You know, one floor of the cuckoo's nest and all that stuff. But then also we've got this new explosion of teletherapy companies, Talkspace and BetterHelp and all that stuff, that, that basically say to the public, hey, download our app, text in, get your mental health treated. And that's that, that's a complete misrepresentation of what it takes. Uh, what it takes is, you know, long-term commitment. So um, we're fighting a lot of battles, and I think a lot of it's misunderstood from diagnostics to treatment to discharge Um, it's it's just very hard
2: so what's the what's the biggest myth or or misconception well
5: I think these days the, the battle that I find myself fighting is that everybody has mental illness and it's not true that's that's a big myth. just because you have a hard time in your life doesn't mean that you meet diagnostic criteria for mental illness but that's what's being pushed by a lot of these companies so that they can capture business and I think it's wrong I think it's it's unethical uh, but, but, boy, it sure does you know get people in the door, so we've seen a lot of of youth mental health issues, and I put that in air quotes that the audience can't see because we're on radio but uh, mental health issues right it's like everybody's mentally ill these days. It's like, well, maybe not, maybe you know response to governmental lockdowns and uh, disease nobody's seen before uh. Is supposed to be distressed. Like you're supposed to be distressed when you don't know what's happening. You're supposed to be on your heels and a little anxious and nervous when government keeps um, being inconsistent with the way that it's handling things. That's not necessarily mental illness, but that's the message being sent: is like, oh, you got you got mental illness because you're you're worried or you're anxious. Like get into care. And then of course we're fighting. Well, that, social media too, TikTok and stuff.
2: That seems to be a big part. You know, th- where the line is, like, how do you determine where the line is? Seems to be a big part of. Uh, it seems to be. I don't want to say big part of the problem, but it seems to be a big uh, discussion point. You know, that seems to be uh, that. That probably is the issue. You know, where 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 is the line drawn between someone who's having a bad day or a bad week or a bad month, or, or you know, someone that's that's not feeling up to the up to uh, up to par, and someone that has something diagnosable? How, is there a is there a? Are you able in a few sentences? Are you able to define where the lines drawn drawn, or is that is that why you is that why you're a professional?
5: Uh, no, actually I can. Um, so we have a book. It's called the DSM, short for Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, and then uh, subtitled of Mental Disorders. So in that book, we've got all the criteria that we need to meet. So you yes, hmm. about where the lines drawn. Usually it's it's on a time frame. You know, how long has this been going on? Uh, we can look at that. We can look at certain symptom presentations. But before we even get to the diagnosis and the diagnostic criteria, we we open the, the book and like a few pages in it says what a mental disorder is. And the operative language in there is clinically significant distress or impairment in one or more important areas of functioning. And some of the important areas of functioning are social, marital, legal, medical, et cetera, et cetera, occupational, academic. So if you don't have clinically significant distress or impairment you're not qualifying yourself for a mental diagnosis a mental illness diagnosis
1: okay um, hang out right there hang out right there we got to go oh, to a commercial yeah, yeah. we are both trying to figure out when we could stick our foot in the door but you were just too good <laughs> so hang there with That's us right. brother this back. is gun owners radio fm 961 am
3: 1170 the answer
1: Welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 961. AM 1170. The answer. Hey, does selling your home feel overwhelming? Well, it doesn't have to be that way. With Scott Vinson from Caldwell Banker Royal Realty, Scott Vinson is the perfect guide to help you sell or buy your home. Scott has uh, also been a San Diego County gun owner, board member from the start. So if you're moving, let fellow Second Amendment supporter and real estate broker, Scott Vincent, help you sell your home and find your new home anywhere in the United States. Call on today at 619-948-2459. Tell him you heard about it on Gun Owners Radio. Again, give Scott a call at 619-948-2459. Or you can get him online at scottvinson.com. That's V-I-N-S-O-N.
2: We're talking to Jake Whiskerchen from Walk the Talk America about mental health. So um, what would most people be surprised to learn about mental health, Jake? I think they'd
5: probably be surprised to learn that it's much easier and a lot less threatening than people make it out to be. So part of what I want to do with firearms owners uh, specifically, but then other professions broadly who are skeptical or or afraid to come in is demystify what the process is. One of the things, and I know you guys want to discuss this, um, is the the care barriers that exist to accessing my services. One is this um, appearance that we're going to pick up the bat phone to the government and tattle on you and you're going to lose your Second Amendment rights because you're struggling with something that's not true. And we have lots of protections built in against that ethically and legally. So even if we take a state like, say, New Jersey, it has a red flag law that is very broad and says that, quote, unquote, any person can petition the the court for uh, an extreme risk protection court order doesn't mean that we can or should professionally. And if we break your confidentiality, for that reason, uh, we better have a really darn good reason to do it because we could jeopardize our license by doing that. So I think one of the things people are, are always pleased to see is when they get into care, how how easy and non-threatening it is, but then what the protections are against um, sharing their stuff with the public or courts or emergency services and whatnot. Those, those conditions are very, very rare.
2: I, and it does come up. I've definitely gotten that question particularly with ccWs um that you know we, mm-hmm. we we started get we now have the ability in San Diego to get a CCW for the first time in decades and there's uh, congratulations there, yeah, well, we worked really hard on that. we're very happy the uh there's at least one question that has to do with uh, mental health and i get I get a lot of questions kind of off the record questions about that you know uh, well gee I, I've done this or I have this in my history or this is going on in my life. Is that something I should disclose? And there is a very real fear. Um, You know, have you seen a lot of that? Have you seen people who don't get uh, help with uh, mental health issues because they're a gun owner?
5: Oh my gosh. Uh, That's the whole reason the organization exists. Wow. Um, It's, it's staggering. So I, I mentioned I come from a family full of cops, but I also teach law enforcement. Uh, I teach the Crisis Intervention Training Week, and I work very intimately with them. But it's not just cops. It's firefighters, EMTs, emergency room doctors, basically anybody in a profession who would go seek help, regardless of whether or not they own firearms, they're skittish about coming into care because they don't want to be deemed by their colleagues or their superiors or supervisors to be unfit for duty. And that's, that's a real scare. Um, here's, here's my analogy. And I steal this. I stole this from a colleague of mine, my, my clinical director. Um, if you're in the military and you're going on a ruck and you turn your ankle and you think that it's, it's going to be embarrassing or shameful or somebody's going to look at you weird by admitting that you need, to get your ankle taped or looked at what you end up doing while you're continuing on the ruck is you become a liability for everybody else in your team by not asking for help. And, and that's the message that I'm trying to push out is like, if you're really struggling, you're lacking sleep, you're showing up to work sluggish because you've got anxiety about your kid being sick or whatever, that's okay. And what we need to do is push the message back up the chain to the supervisors and the bosses to say, if you don't get this person attended to, worst things will happen up to and including suicide, which is a big, big deal in the medical community, as it turns out. So yes, I see that all the time where people give their testimonies to us. Like, I don't trust it. I don't want to come in. I don't want my rights taken. I don't want to lose my job. And it is, it is an uphill battle for sure.
2: Now, is there, do you have guidance or, or do you guys uh, publish guidance or give guidance at, at, at you know, at what point you know, at what point are guns taken away from somebody? Um, and, and you know, do, is that, and do you talk about whether or not that should be a family member or a friend? Or you know, do 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 you, do you touch on that at all?
5: Yeah. Um, so there's a couple things that stand in the way there. One is uh, some of these quote-unquote transfer laws. They're they're supposed to plug the you know loopholes or whatever, the, the gun show loopholes. And what they've essentially said, Nevada just passed its in uh, 2019, took effect in 2020, it says, I'm I'm not allowed to give my guns to my neighbor uh, unless he goes through a background check. And that obviously stands in the way of doing the right thing. Uh, there are some escape patches written in the law, like, you know, the, the language says, so long as you know, temporary and necessary to fight the ur you know, the emergent situation or whatever. But the problem is those, those terms aren't defined. We don't know how long temporary is. We don't know how long as, as reasonable, you know, reasonable is defined. So is it three days? Is it 30 days? We don't know. And people are afraid to do the right thing because they don't want to become felons or Nevada gross misdemeanors. And so in the middle of doing the right thing, trying to get the guns out of somebody's home, there's this mental block, of like, well, I don't, I don't want to take your gun. So, yes, we absolutely have that conversation with people about what are your options, right? Um, can we change the lock on the safe? Can we uh, turn it over to your wife or whatever if you're struggling? Um, mm. One thing that Rob Pincus talks about greatly is, is take, a, take an operable part of the gun in that moment of crisis that's not going to make anybody a felon. Take the bolt carrier group, take the bolt, take the slide and what we're trying to do is is something that Walk Talk talks about too is do cause a pause it's a little bit hashtag campaign there's cause a pause cuz we know that suicide is often impulsive and if we can just cause a pause if that mechanical part is missing can you go down to the you know the store and buy a new one yeah of course you can but the time it takes for you to go there should be time enough for me to make you reconsider doing it so we talk about all those kinds of things but we also talk about responsible storage and we're trying to redefine the word responsible to mean preventing unauthorized access and somebody who might be unauthorized is that person who's in a moment of crisis, whether it's through medication or illness or mental illness, uh, also children, you know, angsty teenager just got his heart broken by his girlfriend breaking up with him. He shouldn't have access to the guns. I don't care how old he is or how responsible you've trained him to be. So we, we start to have those conversations too.
2: So with regard to treatment course, what should listeners understand that they don't understand right now?
5: Treatment should be time-limited. That's, that's the first thing I want to say. Mental illness, we say this in the podcast, too. We have a little lead-in to our podcast called Guns. People can check that out if they want. But um, in the lead-in, I say mental illness can and should be overcome, it, just like physical illness, right? So if you've got a broken arm, we cast your broken arm, we set you up for four to six weeks, we take off the cast, and maybe there's some physical therapy afterward to restrengthen the muscles. But the point is you're not a broken arm anymore. And you don't identify as a broken arm. In and mental, and mental illness, people identify as their diagnosis quite frequently. It's like, I am bipolar. I am ADHD. It starts to sound like a characterological trait. And that's not true. Diagnoses can and should change, and the illness should go away. And again, if we go back to the beginning of the conversation, remember the, the criteria that, that I mentioned? Yeah. If you're no longer meeting criteria, you don't have a mental illness anymore. So we want to be pushing that narrative to say, hey, oh, get in, get treated, get out.
2: So, I mean, it sounds like you're saying that there, there, there is no mental health um, condition or diagnosis that is permanent. Is that is that accurate?
5: I don't believe so. Um, we can have a debate about genetic components, and and there is some merit to that. Uh, but beyond you know blood work and structural deficiencies in the brain, which you can only access through an fMRI image, which you're going to have to go spend tens of thousands of dollars to get done, and Probably have to travel to get it done. Like absent that, absent the the organic issues, I believe that people don't come out of the womb broken. They come out whole, pure, clean, intact, and then they're sculpted over time to do whatever they do. Meaning, we can sculpt them differently later. You get a proper level of awareness and insight. You can start working differently. So just because you've been, you know, a drunk and abusive jerk, you know, for twenty years doesn't mean you have to keep being that way. If if somebody brings it to your attention that this isn't working for you and you kinda of sort of know internally it's not working, we can give you some alternatives and then later you change. And I think, you know, anybody who's listening, including you guys, me, we're not the same person now as we were ten or fifteen or twenty years ago. I mean I certainly hope not. So if, if we can all change, that means that anybody struggling with a major issue can also change. And I think that inspires hope. So I, t- I take off the table the, the permanence of it, and, and we presume that change can happen until proven
2: otherwise. Wow. Well, I am woefully unqualified to have that debate, but I think it would be interesting. It just I, I've, I don't <laughs> think I've ever heard anyone uh, say that there there is no mental health diagnosis or... Or illness or condition. I, I, I'm trying to say the right words, but you know there is no mental health yep. condition that uh, uh, that is permanent. But then you also said, and I, I just want to clarify that uh, you know if you're not showing if you're not showing the the characteristics of the diagnosis, then you, you know it's no longer a, a thing. And I'm kind of paraphrasing, but and I think what it's no,
5: what, you're you're absolutely correct. Yep. So if absolutely. someone absolutely and and we see this a lot with with parents of children who bring them in, and they're like. Ah, my kid's distracted and he's hyperactive and all this stuff. It's like he must have ADHD. It's like, well, yeah, all right, cool. Maybe he does. Um, now what? Now what? We have to treat it. We have to do something different. We have to teach your kid patience and distress tolerance and to keep himself under control. And and those those things all can be done. I mean, any any human being can can change and evolve and you know improve. I I certainly am distractible. I go a hundred miles an hour. Um, But what I've done is I've managed to control it. It's not spastic anymore. I'm not in fourth grade blurting out answers to my fourth grade teacher and getting bees in citizenship. I've learned how to control that. And if I can do it, anybody can do it.
2: That's awesome, Jake. Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate this conversation. So Walk the Talk. What's the website for Walk the Talk?
5: Yeah, WTTA.org. org. .org. You can spell it out if you want, but it's WTTA.org. And, uh, uh, if you want to see some of the videos I put out, um, Zephyr wellness is my company, uh, Zephyr wellness.org or our YouTube channel. Uh, and that's, it's uh, kind of a cool way to go. And then our, our podcast, uh, guns and mental health. Uh, appreciate you guys having me on, uh, you know, God bless you for doing what you do and, uh, continuing the message and Merry Christmas.
2: Thanks man. Merry Christmas.
1: All right, folks. Don't go anywhere. Rob Morris coming up next. He's got the Slow Facts blog and the Daily Bulletin on Gun Owners Radio FM ninety six one AM eleven
3: seventy.
1: The answer. All right, folks, welcome back to Gun Owners Radio FM ninety six one AM eleven seventy. The answer.
4: Mainstream media and politicians have told us that guns are frighteningly dangerous and that we'd be safer if uh, more honest citizens were disarmed. We're tempted to believe them if uh, that's all we know, but now we have data that calls their story into question.
1: But first, most companies waste a lot of money on marketing. The reason why is because they don't have a clear message. You are wasting money on your website, your social media, and your advertising if you don't have a clear, easy-to-understand message. SageTree gets it. They've been doing this since 2005. SageTree has been helping companies clarify their message and connect with customers. Contact them today and learn about their proven system to help you get better return on your investment from your marketing dollars. Go to SageTree.com to learn a whole lot
2: more. I like the uh, the Christmas rock music we got going on. Yeah, that's our boy. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Hey, so our next guest is an old friend of mine, Rob Morse. Uh, You you know Rob from his blog Slow Facts, and uh, he's also on the uh, at least he used to be. I should probably I should probably check with him on Polite Society the podcast.
6: I think he's still a part of that. Rob, you there, man? I am, and I am still uh, a co-host on the Polite Society podcast. I thought so. How are you? I'm great. It's
2: really, really good to hear your voice. You and I haven't spoken in years, and that's uh, that's a sin, frankly.
6: I was going to say, you know how long it's been? I've had to renew my concealed carry license since I moved. <laughs>
2: Rob, you used to be a San Diegan. You and I w- were fighting the fight uh, side-by-side, shoulder-to-shoulder, and uh, uh, a lot's changed in San Diego. Um, it has. It's gotten really, really uh, – things have gotten a lot better, and uh, we're doing really, really well, and you've gone on to uh, – big great things tell us about polite society
6: um that is an ensemble podcast it used to be called politics and guns but we would go to advertisers and said would you like to talk about politics and guns and they heard the word politics i thought we said venereal disease and taxes you know <laughs> it, they they just couldn't back up fast enough so we stole the robert Heinlein quote an armed society is a polite society we thought that was innocuous it's still politics and guns runs about 90 minutes my podcast is self defense gun stories i was at a training seminar and the guy goes we're talking you know we'd all seen something in the news grandma did a great job and the instructor said well we we're not sure she did we know she succeeded but did, did is what grandma did best practice or was she lucky hmm now that's
2: just a little Go ahead. And I was gonna, so. And you did an article called <laughs> "Now We Know There Are Armed Good Guys on Our Streets," right? Yes, I did. We have some data about that.
6: Give us the gist. Give us the gist of the article. the The short version: The media said self defense doesn't happen and nobody carries out in public. Well, we couldn't prove it. They didn't publish those media stories. And then a huge survey was done. We asked people, "How often do you carry?" Did you ever use your firearm in self-defense? What was that like? So we actually know there are millions of us, more than tens of millions, who carry every day, and we've used our guns in self-defense.
2: That's amazing. So what, uh,
6: uh, what's, what's the big takeaway? Which, if,
2: to, for those who are going to read the article, what, what do you want them to take away from this article?
6: Short version, if you couldn't read it. There are 17 and a half million of us who carry every day. Look, the media said we know you get, uh, you have concealed permits, but we don't know that you actually use them. Now we know. Yes, we do. We've added them up. Of course, the numbers are different in Alabama, where a third of the adults have permits, to California, where it's, you still have 10 million people who live in counties where they could get permits. We assume there are no gun owners in California. Mike, you know better. Your listeners know better. The state with the most gun owners of any state in the union is California. California. Isn't that amazing? We were talking about, of course,
2: we're looking at at starting L.A. County gun owners as well. We were kind of looking at some of the demographics. One interesting takeaway, of course, we're nonpartisan, um, but one of the interesting takeaways is what county in the United States... Has more Republicans than any other county. That's Los L- Angeles County. L.A. County is that amazing? There are more Republicans in L.A. County than there are people in San Diego County. Um, but uh, you know that gets lost in the media. And uh, you know, it, 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 by the way, their reputation is well uh, earned, uh, of course. So what was what was one of them what's something that was amazing when you are putting together this article and looking at everything? What, what was something that really stuck out to you? What was an, an amazing uh, stat or, or, or two, point? Two,
6: yeah, two other things just sure. made me stop and, and real. We asked gun owners, have you used a gun in self-defense? Well, gun owners make up about, a, uh, a little, about 30% uh, of uh, adults over 21. And then we said, how often have you used it? Again, about a third. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's one out of 11 of us have said, you know, I needed that gun. Now, that's not each year. That's in their entire life. So we add that up. It's like 1.6 million times a year. The great news, you and I would always suspected this, we seldom have to press the trigger. Only 80%. So a guy breaks in, you say, stop, get out or I'll shoot. And we don't have to, he's turning around before we press the trigger. That's what we want a gun to do. Deterrence, if it works, is way better than gunfire.
2: Yeah, well, and that's one thing that, that I think is lost in uh, public messaging is when, when we talk about using a gun in self-defense, uh, we're talking broadly. We're talking about someone that pulls a gun but doesn't have to actually uh, press the trigger. We're talking about somebody that, uh, you know, we're just the presence of a firearm or, or, or you know, maybe they, they pulled the firearm, but decided, hey, you know what, I don't have to use it because now the the bad guy's mind has changed because he sees that I'm armed. So you, you guys were using a very, very broad definition of of, of using a firearm, right?
6: Absolutely. Well, we're at, when we ask people, did you use it? And you ask, look, did it make a significant difference in the outcome? If grandma has it pointed at the door and the guy runs away, she thinks that was pretty significant.
2: Yeah, no kidding. Was there now? Is there what's what's your favorite self defense story? I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but do you have a a story that that you read about in the news that kind of kind of was a
6: favorite? Um, We did one recently. A pizza delivery driver uh, uh, goes up, you know, and the reason I like it is it's an everyman story. Mm. More of us are doing that job. Oh, it's okay. So it's uh, DoorDash, whatever it is, we're delivering groceries. And two guys try and rob him, and he's up against a wall at a house where he's trying to deliver, and he, and he survives. Because a day before, a delivery driver had been shot five times. That driver was unarmed. This driver was armed. We were missing the details. We don't know whether he handed him the pizza, handed him his wallet, and then when their hands were full, he drew his firearm. But we do know he survived, two to one, and he won anyway.
2: Wow. How do you feel in general? Uh, just the subject, I, you know, how, you know, guns and second amendment. It's very, very broad, but just specifically on carrying or maybe CCWs. How do you feel it's going in the country? What direction are we are we headed?
6: Um, it's mixed. We see politicians put forth some really egregious infringements um, because their billionaire anti gun billionaires are paying them. It's, it's pretty obvious they're they're doing it for money, but when we look at the every di- the the wonderful thing I also took away from this report gun owners are everyone yeah not only are we one out of a dozen on average're the the stereotype is we're old white guys. The point is the fastest growing percentage are young urban women we're everyone and Okay, Asians are least represented, Hispanics more, Blacks in the middle. The, this, for Asians to look average, we're talking about a 10% change. It's not n- that Asians don't own guns. If one out of 10 of them uh, said, you know, I, I, I should look at that, they'd look as, as that, they become indistinguishable from everyone else. So Interesting. just as you said about Los Angeles County, the perception is that it's wildly partisan. The fact is we're a 55-45 nation.
2: 55-45, meaning?
6: Meaning that we think some places dominate No, it's just a few percent. I see. So, and so, you and I were at the same conference together where the Republican Party chairman in L.A. said, if I could get every Republican to vote, I would win every statewide office.
2: Yeah. yeah so you you said what was the statistic did you say that one in one in what is it one in twelve people own a gun or what was the
6: one uh no no that one out of three of us own a gun one out of eleven between one out of twelve and one out of thirteen are carrying in public every day so what by
2: so just over one out of twelve people in America is that that's men women children
6: uh no t- twenty hundred <laughs> twenty one in a um, we're about to run out of, I'm going to hear the music here any second. What was fascinating too, the study admitted it's undercounting us.
2: Interesting. Wow. That's awesome. All right. Where can folks find more Rob Morse If you want even more Rob Morse? I love your writing. Um, I've always considered you uh, a fantastic mind in the second amendment community, You're extremely hard worker, and I appreciate everything that you do. If people want to read more about, uh, you know, the, of of what you what you do and want to hear more from you, where should they go?
6: Well, with the written world, written, written word, I blog at slowfacts.wordpress.com. My writing is picked up at AmmoLand, and I get to write the weekly armed defense column there, self defense gun stories, and the flight Society podcast.
2: Awesome job, Rob! Really appreciate it, man. Let's uh, let's connect. It's been way too many years.
6: Glad
1: to talk to you, Mike. Take care. All right, folks. Get a grip with Joe Journee's in the next segment on Gun Owners Radio, FM 961, AM
3: 1170. The Answer.
0: Welcome back to Hour Two of Gun Owners Radio with your hosts, Dave Stahl, Joe Germisi, and Michael Schwartz. Visit gunownersradio.com with your questions and comments or to learn how to become a sponsor of the show. Time to get involved and get active. Together, we will win. Now, here's Dave, Joe, and Michael on the Answer San Diego.
1: All right, folks, welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 961, AM 1170
2: the answer how do you improve your skills as a ccw holder competition shooting might be the answer for you you might have some fun too
1: but first com slash alpine are you in the military are you looking for help for a va loan well if you're looking to buy a refi or if you're considering a reverse mortgage call our local mortgage guy that you can tr- could trust call chris wiley at prmi mortgage for nearly 25 years, Chris has been helping local San Diegans with all their mortgage needs. Call Chris Wiley, 619-722-1303, or just go to primeres.com slash Alpine. What do you got, Joe?
4: All right. Got a subject. So I uh, bet you do. Concealed carrying competitive shooting. So, yeah, usually I usually have an article, but I'm changing things up a bit here because uh I write a lot of articles, most of them get published in the um, on our website, but some of them are less appropriate for there, so I, I publish everything on my uh, getagrip.substack.com for anybody that's interested in that, um, but uh, when I don't have a, an article actually to talk about, I'll have a subject to talk about, which is what I got today, so uh, concealed carrying competitive shooting, so a lot of people are carrying nowadays, uh, we're very fortunate, um, you know, thanks to uh, San Diego County gun owners and all the people that supported that. So, uh, we get a chance to do that now. And, um, the, um, you know, I think we're going to go, uh, we should go over 6,000 actually, uh, concealed carry licenses here at the end of the year. Wow. That's so awesome. that's nice. Yeah. The last, last two months they've issued over 200. So if that, if that keeps up, uh, this time, uh, we should go over 6,000, which is fantastic. Um, but, you know, a lot of them teaching this stuff now, uh, you know, a lot of the people that come in the class, um, it's interesting that they, you know, they've, they've gone through and they've, they've gone through the process. They're getting their concealed carry, but they don't necessarily do a lot of training. And, uh, you know, it's hard. We were talking about that in here um, a few weeks ago um, when, uh, when Chris Chang was in here and, um, and Ursula. And uh, we were talking about, you know, sometimes they, you know, the state requires training and this and that. But you know the state can only do so much, and you require a uh, a class, and that's not really training. And um, you know I try to encourage people to do that, and when we're when we're teaching, I always try to encourage people to, you know, at least get to the range, at least take a couple of classes uh, every year, and try to build on the stuff that you learn. And um, you know I don't have any any solid numbers. I don't have a good way to confirm, you know, how many of them do, how many of them don't. But I'm guessing a a big chunk of them don't. And um, one of the ways I try to encourage people to do this is uh, with a competitive shooting. And um, one of the things I guess when you're when you're going to carry a um, you know a handgun every day, and one of the thing the thing I talk to people about is uh, you got to get used to that. You're carrying a loaded firearm, you're handling it every day, so you got to get comfortable with it. One of the um, good fun ways to get comfortable with it is uh, through competitive shooting. And I was doing this pretty much, uh, every weekend, I guess for a couple of years up until the COVID stuff started and that kind of disrupted everything. And now between there was a, between the things that happened with COVID and some changes in my schedule, I kind of dropped out of it for the last year and a half and, um, now some other things have happened and the schedules moved around a bit and I'll be back into it starting in January.
0: Nice. So
4: thought I would talk about this out here. And uh you know, I try to encourage people to try it out because when you talk about competitive shooting, I think um some people have they form an opinion on it, you know you or you form this picture of what you think it might be and I think uh a big a uh, lot of the time the picture that gets formed is a bunch of you know twenty five year old guys running around uh shooting and tearing everything up and it's not really that way at all there's uh there's certainly that <laughs> but uh there's people from all ages we have um you know, teenagers. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember Dave DeZan. Uh, he's been on, I think he's called in a couple of times. He's he's real big at the, uh, de Fuego club. His son, David, uh, is just a tremendous shooter and it helps to have a dad that's a master shooter, but, uh, David is just, uh, just fantastic. And I think David's, um, I want to say he's 14 now, maybe pushing 15, uh, but really good. But we have people at that age, all the way up to people in their seventies, probably that shoot. Um, John Hurst is another one that's, I think, John 74, and uh, just a tremendous shooter, and um, you know, so it's a lot of fun. The thing where it benefits, uh, I think, concealed carry uh, people is that, you know, you need to know how your gun operates, and you need to be real comfortable with it. We'll see this in the class going through just the state-required um, qualification, and most people do okay, but there's, there's some people that struggle with it, and there's people that aren't you know you could see they're not real comfortable with the gun they're not real sure the safety's on Ooh, i didn't know the safety was on not sure what to do with the decocker uh you'll see them holstering and it's just you know it's not a real natural thing you can tell they don't do it a whole lot um part of the qualification is shooting left-handed then shooting right-handed and you could tell when people you know people that don't do that and um you know as a concealed carrier if you ever have to use the gun which uh from our last uh last guest on here uh was saying that yeah that happens a lot not that they actually have to fire it but i mean again if you do have to pull it out you need to be comfortable with it so one of the things i think that you get from competitive shooting is uh you start to get comfortable you learn how your gun works um the thing that we don't you know it's interesting in um in the qualification class that the the state requires one of the things that we don't talk about are malfunctions and we don't practice malfunctions and You know, malfunctions are not that uncommon, especially, uh, you know, if you're using a semi-auto handgun. And if you could imagine being in a a self-defense incident where I'm I'm guessing you'll be really stressed out. You may be a little bit nervous. Uh, If your grip is not that, you know, not exactly right, it's easy to induce a malfunction. If you never practice clearing the malfunction, you're not really familiar with it. um, You know, that's a bad thing. And by shooting, uh, you know, in the competitive shooting, you'll get to do that unless you shoot a Glock like I do. But uh, <laughs> for people that shoot other guns, uh, you'll get the practice malfunctions and clearing malfunctions um, under time pressure. And that that's really good. I think it's really useful for people that are carrying concealed. And there's different ways. Uh, like I shoot USPSA matches with uh, the Linea de Fuego Club. And uh, you can find all these online. And, uh, you know, they shoot uh, a couple of times a month. There's a number of other clubs and ranges and places where they have matches out here. The uh, USPSA thing, uh, which is what I started in, which is um, a lot of fun, I think. And uh, it's a little more of a game, a little more competition. The other big group is the uh, IDPA group, the uh, Defensive Pistol um, Association. And uh, they do it more with a uh, kind of more uh, being practical, I guess, in terms of Things you might actually have to do um, as a concealed carrier, say in a self defense incident. And I know, Michael, you shot that years ago, didn't you? The IDPA stuff.
2: Yeah, I did. Yeah, it was kind of a watered down IDPA. It wasn't strict IDPA rules, but the the idea was to make it as accurate as possible. Kind of take the the gaming part of it out, you know, or the the, the I guess you know the game part, you know. And-
4: yeah, and I think both are good. I think because with the USPSA, the you know typically the matches we shoot, there's six stages. There's steel targets, there's silhouette targets. You'll be shooting from different positions. You've got to move and shoot and reload and do a lot of stuff. Um, I've never shot IDPA, but uh, the IDPA guys shoot uh, with us sometimes, so I'd watch the matches. And uh, they focus a little bit more on shooting from cover and doing reloads behind cover and things like that, where we don't do that so much in the US PSA side. You're just, yeah, you're doing reloads, you're doing it under time pressure, you're doing it really fast. But there's, there's no requirement to stand behind cover when you do it. Uh, but either one of them is great. I think, I think these are great, fun ways for people to actually train, uh, learn a little bit, get really familiar with their, um, their handguns, and have a lot of fun uh, doing it. So I always encourage people to do that kind of stuff.
1: All right. Great segment. All right. So stay tuned, folks. A whole lot more right here on Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1. AM eleven
3: seventy
1: The Answer All right, folks, welcome back to Gun
4: Owners Radio FM ninety six one AM eleven seventy The Answer Mike Sedini, the founder of Walk the Talk America, is on next.
1: But first, we really want to welcome American Shooters as our newest gun shop in San Diego and, and Gun Owners Radio's newest show sponsor. American Shooters just opened in El Cajon at 1468 Graves Avenue, just off Bradley in the 67. If you're looking for a great gun shop for any of your firearm needs, go visit Mark Alcon. And his team at American Shooters—they have a great selection of new, used, and consigned firearms. That's American Shooters at 1464
2: Graves Avenue, off the Bradley exit in lovely El Cajun. So we were talking to Jake a couple segments ago from Walk the Talk America, and now we're going to have Mike Sedinian, who's the actually the founder of Walk the Talk America. Mike, you there? yes i am thank you for having me you bet jake did an awesome job he was uh very informative and i really appreciated his information and his perspective and i wanted to talk to you a little bit more about the actual organization he went over um he talked about some mental health things he talked about some of the some of the things the organization does but i wanted to talk to you a little bit more about the actual organization i wanted to kick it off with with kind of the big question um you know the 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 big uh Uh, you know uh, point I guess Um, why should gun owners care about suicide Um, you know what would you say to a gun owner who said hey uh, that's this person's choice and it's not my responsibility why should gun owners care about suicide
7: well there's a couple of reasons obviously suicide by firearm it takes up two-thirds of that number that gets lumped all together that's used against us constantly right um, that's something that I think we should address, and, and then the second reason is is that we have to do a better job in the, the firearms community of showing our, our humanity, uh, that, that we there are good people there, and I believe that that has worked against us because we tend to, and rightfully so, right? We've been called many different things by people that don't understand us, but if we continue to do the whole "private for my cold dead hands and not do anything else, It's gonna it's gonna put us in a perception that I think needs to change. It's something that I never saw when I came into the firearms community.
2: So, yeah, interesting. You know, every law out there, every gun law out there that we hate that shouldn't exist, could have been prevented by personal responsibility. So I think that, or or at least the excuse for the law um, was was based on a a lack of, of of personal responsibility. Um, and then there's a whole argument over you know of course the government shouldn't be enforcing personal responsibility but i th- it, it, it 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 would appear to me i think there's a case to be made that getting involved with walk the talk america and promoting the message and the work that you guys do is exactly that personal responsibility that gun owners pr- we pride ourselves in and talk about um this is this is a solution to a problem that doesn't involve government is that is that an, is that an accurate way of putting it hundred
7: percent. And and even, you know, to go into the whole point of a lot of these laws are made because uh, they, people don't understand, right? So I want to be there. I want to have a connection to the people that maybe back these laws or try to write these laws because far too long, they just wrote them. And I think it's important for us to say, okay, you need to understand the damage some of these laws can, you, can do. You need to understand why the community doesn't like these laws. Uh, I think that's important. So if we continue to stand on, opposite sides of the room right with this self-imposed chasm we're going to have more people writing laws that just don't make sense they're feel-good laws but they actually
2: won't stop all the things that both sides wants to accomplish so even if you don't even if it even if it doesn't resonate with you that uh you know people may need help suicide is is something that we should prevent even if that doesn't resonate with you the idea that they like you said use use an enormous number you know how many people are Killed, uh, you know, uh, using a, a firearm every year. Two thirds of those are suicide victims. Taking that away from, uh, from, the, from the other side, for you know, and, and taking away their ability to use that to create more bad laws is something that every gun owner should probably care about.
7: Hundred percent, I agree with that statement right there. And I mean, that's just what it's all about. Um, this is a way, you know. I, I, I truly feel that most people don't want people to die or be hurt. So I just want to make that clear as well, but I get it. Like people are like, Hey, it's their free will, but you have to understand the big picture, right? You gotta look down the field when it comes to this stuff. And that's why we're here now. It's because for far too long, we kind of just turned our back on it and said, Hey, it's not our issue. It's a mental health issue. They got to
1: deal with it.
2: And suicide is preventable. It's not like, you know, you can't look at, you can't say, well, gee, there's a certain percentage of society that's just simply going to commit suicide. And there's nothing we can do. It's it's a it's a natural part of society. It is preventable. You can look at other communities or other societies um, and see vast differences, enormous differences in the rate of suicide. For example, uh, my understanding is Japan has a huge suicide rate. And oh, by the way, they have you know almost zero percent gun ownership. Right? Am I am I right on that? Or right?
7: Yeah, yeah, that's correct. And here's the thing. Um, I'm not here to tell you that suicide is preventable. Like, we're going to bring suicides down as a whole. My goal, because I come from the firearms industry, is to, to try to prevent suicide by firearm and get that number down.
2: So tell us about the origin story for Walk the Talk. How did Walk the Talk America come about?
7: Well, it actually started uh, from a chance meeting uh, when I owned Eagle Imports, which is an importer of firearms I was out with my national sales manager and we invited a complete stranger from the bar. We were sitting out waiting for our table for dinner. And at the time there was a mass shooting of, I can't remember which one, but she asked one simple question. She's like, what happens during this? Like she didn't care about firearms either way, but she goes, what happens? And I said, well, everybody blames the firearms industry. The firearms industry blames mental health and nothing ever happens. And she asked one question, which changed my life. She said, if you understand what the issue is and you understand what the problem is and you think it's a mental health issue, what is the firearms industry doing with the mental health community to find some solutions? And I just took that whole concept and ran with it because I thought about it for a second. I'm like, look, we can't give legislation and restriction. We can't give that. That's a non-starter, but there has to be something that we can do to get ahead of this. And really what I thought about was how the, alcohol industry got ahead of DUIs right and that's hmm. what I want to do with the gun industry nobody blames Johnny Walker when somebody gets behind the wheel and does something
5: horrific or tragic
2: and I feel like we can get there wow that's an interesting uh, uh, comparison What were you? What, what's your background in the firearms industry
7: I am a third generation firearm industry expert but I got my job through nepotism so <laughs> it, it worked out for me I wouldn't even consider myself necessarily a, a gun person, right? I became that later in life, but um, it's an industry I got thrown into after college because of my family business, and we were one of the largest importers in the United States of firearms. We represented manufacturers outside of the U.S. that didn't have their own facilities here or weren't large enough to have their own manufacturing. We'd do everything for them, so we built their brand, handled their customer service, their sales. Some of the firearms you might know – american classic out of the philippines bursa out of argentina grand power out of slovakia we had a, a number of different lines so that's what we, we what, that was our main business
2: has there been a, how, long, how long have you guys been around how many years oh we were around for 30 years you're talking about walk the talk i'm sorry it? yeah back to walk the talk how long has walk the talk been around uh, 2018 is when it started so we're fairly we're fairly new so okay so in the, in in that time how have uh how have anti gun organizations responded to you have, Has there been much talk with them or is that even a, a goal
7: uh a- absolutely it is a goal because I believe that a lot of people <laughs> that are anti gun are just kind of ignorant so my whole thing is I want to to make those connections and I want people to understand certain things um, the pushback, we don't get it from the anti-gun side. As a matter of fact, we get more compliments than we do anything else mm. because it's easy to to destroy that uh, perception when they think you don't do anything, right? So when I meet somebody that may be from, say, Brady or Mom's Man Action, um, I like to show them, hey, you want action? Like, here, here are the things we're doing. Here's the things that the firearms industry is doing to get ahead of this. And usually they're blown away by that. Because once again, they don't have a high expectation level for us, we got to change that
2: Do you get criticism from gun owners or gun pro gun groups I do sometimes uh usually that's just from
7: a misunderstanding, right? They see mental health and firearms in the same sentence, and they think that we're blaming the gun, yeah but usually that we could take care of that you know just with a conversation or if people do any research into the organization but it has happened before
2: it makes us nervous you know and, and it's it's kind of understandable it, it, it feels like somebody somewhere along the way has uh you know kind of pitted us against each other and uh uh I don't know it, it, it I think that that's an enormous there are a lot it's I was going to say it's a huge wound to heal but it's probably a thousand wounds to heal you know that's it's a big job so what's the What's the strategy? How? How? What's the outreach strategy, or you know, how do we do this? How do you, how, how are you guys going to be successful over the next ten years?
7: Well, I mean, I'd say we, we've been uh, really successful. I'm really pleased with where this organization's come in the last three years. Nice. Uh, what we have to do is we have to keep getting manufacturers, uh, you know, companies from the gun industry, whether it's a scope company, whether it's a handgun company, uh, star company we all have to, to come together and get in on this and start working towards these solutions that Walk to Talk America has provided, like the free mental health screenings that we have firearms manufacturers put in the boxes of their guns, companies like Arms Corps and High Point. You know, those they, they're they getting ahead of it. They're putting that stuff out there. Uh, you know, we got to keep tra- tra- training mental health clinicians, which – you had Jake on earlier, so I'm sure he touched on that. Yeah. Um, but we got to keep bringing the two communities together, so we can learn from each other and think of these out of the box ideas that four years ago didn't exist.
2: That's awesome. What's a what's a notable achievement? What in 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 just the three years you guys have been around? What's uh, what are some accomplishments that you're particularly proud of?
7: Oh man, we we, we can talk all day. But some of the stuff has really blown me away. But uh, one of the things I'm most proud of is in 2019. Uh, we were invited to the White House to be part of a suicide prevention task force for the VA. And being in a room with 30 brilliant minds and this punk kid that grew up in Jersey, and <laughs> you know, um, I realized that I was the only person representing the firearms industry there. Wow. And it was really cool to kind of work on some of these solutions and have the firearms industry be there to, to be something positive, right, not, not in a negative light showing them, hey, we can help you. You just gotta change the narrative about us. But, you know, bringing bringing the two communities together is the the thing I'm most proud of. There's there's ways that we've worked with the mental health community to shoot down anti-gun legislation because that legislation just so happens to add to the stigma of mental health. Uh, We also have mental health organizations that contact us and they say, hey, look, you know, someone's asking us to back this bill me why this is a bad idea again and and that's really what i wanted right i want them to reach out i want them to learn from us
1: all right mike hey things. mike can we ha- have you hang with us we're gonna take a quick break but when we come back we'll chat more right here on gun owners radio fm 961
3: am 1170 the answer
1: AM 1170.
3: The answer.
1: Hey, are you going to let him interrupt you? Nope. Well, he's, I, got a, he's, he's armed now. I fire. Right. Take him out, dude. It's okay. <laughs> no. Watch him pop. All right, folks. Hey, we're proud to partner with the National Concealed Carry Association as a 10-ring partner. NCCA exists to serve the Second Amendment community by providing a nationwide network of 2A advocates. They offer elite self-defense and concealed carry training from the nation's top instructors. They provide rock bottom prices on the best selection of gear and accessories. Join them today. Members get great prices and free shipping. You can learn a whole lot more about National Concealed Carry Association.com.
2: Okay, we're Mike, we're excuse me, we're talking to Mike Sadini from Walk the Talk America. So, Mike, how do you describe, in, in like two sentences, how, when someone says, what do you guys do, how do you, how, how, do what, you know, how do you describe Walk the Talk America? You're a what kind of organization?
7: We are a firearms industry, mental health, uh, community bridge. Uh, what we do is we look for innovative ways to get people the help they need when they're in crisis without fear of consequence.
2: And how has your relationship with media been since you guys started? Oh, it's been excellent.
7: It's, it, it, that's Automatic. the thing is like, once again, I think the expectation level has been so low from the community that, uh, you know, when they see what we're doing, they're really blown away by it. It's something that anybody can get behind. And that's that's the unique thing about this organization because even at the end of the day, you say, I don't really like firearms and I'm never going to be a gun person, but I really dig what these guys are doing, right? Like, because it's, it's, it's an action move. It's, it's, boots on the ground it's root cause mitigation it's not silly legislation that makes people feel good but doesn't do anything
2: and, and you were saying that you were at an event at the white house and which which was very cool and that you were the only representative of the uh, firearms industry do you think that are, are you getting are you, are you is your organization being embraced by uh, pro-second amendment groups and the firearms industry as much as you should be I think
7: so. I think it's, it's, we're starting to turn a corner. Uh, We do get a lot of support. We get a lot of support from manufacturers. Um, I mean, we just got a a massive amount of support from Ruger, which is really nice. So I think it's starting to turn the corner. I think people are starting to see the value in this Um, and who doesn't want to help people. I mean, that's, that's just it, right? We want to make ourselves look good as well, but we also want to help people. Most of the people that I met when I came into the firearms community, we're really good people, and we weren't the people that they said we were, right? You always hear these things like, "Oh, when there's a mass shooting, they get excited and they're cheering because that's more money." No, it wasn't like that. And, you know, I, I've been at gun shows when these these tragic events happen, and I used to look around and every, all the manufacturers that I knew, all I mean, some of them were crying, right? So that's the kind of thing that I wanted to expose to the rest of the world. It's like. We are good people and we do care about life and that's really what the second is about right as a whole like it's about defending your your family it's about liberty um, and I think that this is just something that the community the gun community in general just can get behind
2: that's awesome so what's the what's your biggest obstacle what do you, what, what obstacle are you guys battling right now uh, the
7: biggest obstacle would be manpower um, you know obviously the financial uh, you know uh, the, the great thing about this is that everybody who's been involved has been doing this for the love of the game. Uh, guys like Jake and, you know, Rob Pincus and Colleen Noir, all these people that are behind this uh, dedicate their time and donate it. Uh, you know, so it'd be great to have a, a team, um, you know, to get out there. But we're, we're we're starting to build off that. Here we are in year three. You know, I think a lot of companies, um, I think the industry as a whole, you know, because it's a new concept, they needed to see, like, staying power, right? Like, year one, it's like, okay, is this? I like what they're saying. Are they going to be around? Now, here we are, year three, and we're stronger than ever. So I think the biggest obstacle would be, you know, finances and then just people knowing about
2: the, the organization. So we had Ashley Lebinsky on uh, a few weeks ago, uh, earlier this month. Uh, to talk about, uh, same subject, uh, not talk about your organization specifically, but talk about uh, mental health and firearms ownership. And I saw that she's a new board member. Um, congratulations. Uh, yes. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, yes. I love she... Ashley. She's great. What does she bring to the board? Talk about what, what she brings to your board and organization.
7: Uh, she's just brilliant. Uh, everything about her is great. Uh, but, you know, one thing that I do love about her is she fights in the open, right? She battles a bipolar, too. And she... Uh, She's not afraid to talk about it, and she knows she aligns with our mission. Uh, she has experience in the firearms industry. She she knows the history of the firearms industry. I think she brings a lot, so I'm really excited to have her.
2: That's awesome. So, how, what, what 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 are some goals or what are you guys looking forward to is for 2022? Man, I'm looking forward to Shot Show. Uh, you know, <laughs> we were rocking and rolling, and then the end of the world happened
7: with COVID, and all these shows got canceled. So a lot of the the organizations that I was kind of targeting or manufacturers I was targeting to go talk to, um, I didn't get to do that. And I feel like this is the type of mission that needs a face-to-face meeting with explanation of what we do. So I'm really looking forward to January to getting out to the largest firearm show in the United States and seeing some of these manufacturers you know, in person so we can we can
2: get rolling. So I have a little co-host here, Action Jackson. How old are you, Jackson? Eight. And how often do you shoot? Once a week. Once a week at Glock store, right? Yep. And you're, you're people know you from Instagram because you're your service dog, right? Indeed. Indeed. What's your service uh, or what's his uh, Instagram handle?
3: At service dog underscore chase.
2: Awesome, awesome. Uh, so, Mike, what what should guys like? Uh, what would you like Jackson and, and his generation to know? You know, I guess uh, let me phrase that a little bit different. What would you like him to grow up knowing about the mental health industry that we got wrong growing up about, you know, uh, regarding the mental health industry?
7: I would say that I would like him to understand that most people on the mental health side just want to help people. And they're not, you know, necessarily these gun grabbers that are trying to take away firearms. Um, There's a lot of them out there that just truly care about humans and they want to make Earth better. And I think that, once again, we need to bridge that gap and have proper information flow and education and everything like that um, and access, right, to to mental health help when you're in crisis and without fear of consequence or wearing a scarlet A on your chest. That's the most important thing.
2: Okay, so and that, that, that brings up a good question. We've asked about how, how does the industry, how does media, how do the different gun organizations, pro and, and against... To respond to you. How has the mental health industry responded to you guys?
7: Uh, it's been great uh, because it's never in their world dreams would they ever think that gun manufacturers would be putting in mental health flyers that lead to free anonymous screenings, you know, uh, things like that. I, I think they've been really impressed. And they embrace it, right? They embrace it. They want to learn. Uh, they want to understand. So I would say it's been positive on, on that note. Wow, nope, um, no. no
2: pushback, no you know, character assassinations, no, hey, look, we're, we're the experts, fall in line. It's all been positive?
7: It's all been positive, positive. I'll tell you why. I, so when I ran Eagle Imports, I mean, you know, one of the things with my employees is that I couldn't stand when they would come to me with a problem and didn't offer any type of solution. Right. Right? It's like, don't just point out problems unless you have some solution. It didn't matter if it was a silly solution. I needed a solution, and I kind of feel it's the same way. When I show them all the things that the firearms community is doing, I feel like they're like, "Wow, they're they're doing more than we are." <laughs> so,
6: so Mike, you know, I feel hey like Mike.
7: We're, we're bringing the solutions.
1: Hey Mike, this is Dave. So, did you go hey. to the mental health community, or did the mental health community come to you?
7: I went to them.
1: Were they shocked?
7: Yeah. Yes, they were. As a matter of fact, that's a real quick, funny story. Is the very first time that I met with Mental Health America. They had I'd sent them an email, and they said, "Hey." we've been reading your email. Um, we'd like you to come out to LA and come to one of our conferences. And I just so happened to show up so early that the president of mental, our vice president of mental health America was out front. And she said, who, who are you? And I said, uh, I'm, I was invited here. I'm the gun guy. And she goes, Ooh, we are so happy you're here. She goes, we didn't think you'd show up. <laughs> and uh, that's when I knew, that's when I knew I was onto something because you know, how many of us actually go in there and actually try to communicate? I'm sure it's been done before, but I wanted to really do it uh, and use the Oxford manner, right, which is the ability to play with other people's ideas in a graceful manner and just go in there and say, here, we we need to figure out a way to work together. And it's it's, it's been great so far.
2: Hmm. All right. So we have a couple of organizations here in in, in California, and we're, we're continuing to grow. We have thousands of members, San Diego and Orange County gun owners and Inland Empire gun owners. Um, and then we're going to have our, our women's program. Not me. What, what what can we do to support you guys? What would you like to see an organization like ours, and our, of course our gun show? How do we how do we actually support you guys?
7: Well, it, the, one of the ways I'd love you to support is uh, us is have the mental health flyers available to anybody that's in your network. Um, I, I think that's really important. They're, they lead to free and anonymous mental health screenings. There's 13 of them. Um, you know, obviously getting that information out there, I think is key and vital. And I know some people say, well, mental health screenings actually do believe it or not, at least once a week, I get somebody that says they took the screening and it changed their life. Uh, something usually for the positive, right? They, they usually go to seek treatment or they find something
2: out about themselves. Um, you know, if you have any, what, is, event, what does that mean? Like, and we can, what's, what does that mean? Mental health screening? What, what is that actually doing? So a screening is good. You don't even have to be in crisis to take a screening, but let's just say that you have
7: a suspicion that you suffer from bad anxiety or maybe you think you have depression. You can go on there and ask you a series of questions, and like I said, it's free and anonymous. You know, Just give them whatever information you want. If you go on there, you answer it honestly, and you get a true assessment of where you might be and where you fall on certain levels, right? Like maybe you have low anxiety, maybe you have high anxiety, and then it tells you how to mitigate that. Um, and then it can connect you with people that might be able to help you. So a screening though, once again, doesn't have, you don't have to be in crisis. Maybe everything's going great in your life, but maybe you just want to see where you're at, right? Maintain your mental health. Like as you do your physical health.
1: And you got to be honest when you're doing the survey. Yeah.
7: Yeah, yeah. yeah. You have to be honest with yourself or that's never going to work.
1: Well, yeah, but you know how many people will turn around and say, I'll take the test, but I'm okay.
7: Yeah, that's true. but. Hey, that's one of the things we're trying to change, right? right? So you just got to...
1: Well, that's the only reason I wanted to bring it up. I mean, if you're if you're truly wanting to take, you know, you know look into yourself, you need to be honest
2: with yourself. So
1: excellent program. Excellent.
2: Where do people go? If, people, if our listeners want to go give you 50 bucks real quick, where do they go to do that? They go to WTTA.org
7: or walkthetalkamerica.org, or you can find us on all social medias at walkthetalkus.
1: All right, buddy. Hey, Merry Christmas, and we'll talk to you down the road, I'm sure. Merry Christmas. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. All right. Hey, don't touch that dial. Sam, the gunman's coming up, and if we got a stinger for him. Right here on Gun Owners Radio, FM 961.
3: AM 1170. The answer.
1: Welcome back to Gun Owners Radio FM 961 AM 1170.
3: The answer. Well,
1: hey, if you, you know, guess what? We live in a state where your self-defense rights are under attack. Let us be your voice to help defend and restore the Second Amendment. Help spread the word about the fight. There's two easy things you can do. One, like and subscribe to the show on YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, Instagram, or the podcast, or whatever way you like to listen to the show to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That helps boost our show and puts us in front of a whole lot more people. All right. Stump my nephew
2: who's going to ask the question. I think you are.
1: Are you ready to ask the question? the work you have to do, you know. It's tough.
2: All right. Okay. Uh, Stump my nephew. Every week you send in a question, a gun trivia question. If we use it on the air, then you get a hat or a shirt. If you stump my nephew... Uh, then you get a lifetime supply of firearms training from Front Sight, pistol, rifle, shotgun, carbine. Um, I think we even have some, uh, uh, some uh, hand-to-hand classes out there, and you can take classes for your entire life. I go every year. Love Front Sight, and they're very, very generous, very uh, good to us. So, Sam, how you doing, man?
8: Pretty good. How are you guys?
2: Fantastic. Um, are you ready for uh, this week's question? I hope so. I hope so, too. All right. You ready, Jackson? Yep. All right. Fire away. Who's it from?
3: Benson from Azusa. 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 Azusa asks, why is a minigun called a minigun when they are so heavy? <laughs>
8: Was that Benson from Azusa? Um, again, I, you could be making up place names for all I know, but I'll go with it. Um, the minigun, for those of you who don't know, is a term for the um, General Electric, later Dylan Arrow M134, uh, which is a six-barrel uh, Gatling-style machine gun in 7.62 NATO. Um, now, the reason it's called the minigun, despite uh, requiring a, a fixed pintle mount on something like a vehicle and requiring an external power source in order to drive the rotary mechanism is to differentiate it from um, larger guns in sort of the the uh... naval sense a gun as some type of artillery piece on a ship So, um, if you talk to someone who's been in the navy especially in surface warfare uh... when you say gun they're typically thinking of uh, for example, a five-inch emplacement on a battleship or a cruiser or something and not something that's handheld. That's uh, that's small arms. And so the minigun being much smaller and lighter and more compact than something like uh, a heavier autocannon is called a minigun.
2: I think you got it. Uh, Wikipedia states the mini in the name is the comparison to larger caliber designs that use a rotary barrel design such as uh, GE's earlier 20 millimeter M61 Vulcan and gun for the use of rifle ammunition as opposed to autocannon shells. Miniguns are typically Gatlin gun-style firearms driven by an electric motor that can shoot 2,000 to 6,000 rounds per minute, which is far more rounds per minute than I can shoot. Jackson, how many rounds per minute can you shoot?
3: I, I think five or
2: ten. That's probably about right. That seems about right. That's a little bit more. So a minigun little bit faster than me and Jackson. A little bit, yeah. (laughs) All right, cool, man. Well, that's awesome. Where else do they they use miniguns? They they mount them on helicopters, right? Yep. Well, the cool thing about it being so mini
8: as opposed to something like um, an M61 Vulcan, as you mentioned, is that you can mount it on a heck of a lot of different stuff. So you see them on helicopters. You see them on airplanes for use as gunships. The AC-47 had one uh... actually it had four of them um, the uh... you'll see them on humvees sometimes uh... though those are being phased out at this point you'll see them on some ships surface warfare vessels for defense against smaller craft like torpedo boats and speed boats because that high rate of fire and ability to traverse rapidly um, allows them to to track and fire on smaller craft
2: and the so you said so it needs some kind of power source. What do they do? Do they lug a battery around, or how does that work?
8: Yeah, pretty much. You connect a car battery up to it, and um, that drives the motor in the rotary mechanism the The whole thing is powered externally by that battery, um, including the firing system so even if you get a dud round in your uh, really long belt of ammunition the the gun doesn 't know the difference. It just keeps on firing because the Sliding breech blocks and the firing pins are all driven by the uh, the motor and and gear system.
2: That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. So if you get a you get a bad round, it doesn't matter. It just keeps going, uh, and then it, you know it, it extracts it just like it would brass, and you just right. Keep, keep so rolling.
8: it's it's something you wouldn't ordinarily think about because we deal in small arms. So if you out of a, a batch of ten thousand rounds of ammunition. If you get one or two bad rounds, you probably won't even notice, let alone have a serious problem with it. You just tap rack, reassess and, and keep going on with your life. But in something that's firing between 2 and 6000 rounds per minute depending on how much power you supply it, uh, you're you're going to encounter stoppages a lot more frequently, so it's really useful to have a weapon system that doesn't care whether the ammunition is actually defective
2: that's awesome all right man well awesome you got it nailed it yet again always 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 a pleasure what else you got going on anything else anything interesting you want to tell us
8: no nothing super exciting uh you know same
2: old same old yeah i now i heard you uh are, are do you want to talk about the the present that you that you uh created for someone do you want to go talk about that or no
8: I did. I I I do. I would like to talk about that. Okay. Um, What all
2: right? What what am I referring to?
8: Several months ago, I happened across a uh, Savage Axis in um, gently used condition uh, for a, a decent price. So I thought, hmm, this. I don't like the way this rifle is set up. It's it's kind of crappy, but I bet I could do something with that. And so I, che- I stripped it all the way down to a barreled action with the help of a friend of mine who's a precision shooter. And uh, we built it back up from there with a, a nice Boyd stock, replaced the trigger, replaced the, um, the scope mounts on the receiver with a full length rail, and mounted a Vortex Crossfire 2. And I gave that to my father as a Hanukkah gift because he's been wanting something of that, that style, a, a sort of hunting style rifle for a long time to round out his collection
2: wow what caliber 308 wow that's awesome i don't know that's that's a fantastic gift and you 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 put that all together yourself how did you what would you say you know it's kind of intimidating for people to uh start tinkering around with guns like that what would, what would you tell people that want to want to start
8: if you want to start start with Something like a Glock or a Smith and Wesson M&P or um, a Sig P320. Those are really easy to work on. I haven't broken down the fire control group uh, or fire control unit, as they would want me to say, of a P320 because that's all supposed to be unitized. You're not supposed to mess with it at the armorer level. But um, Glocks and M&Ps are very similarly constructed, and they're very easy to work on. You could. I mean, th- there's, there's an absolute minimum of parts. You could break one down probably using kitchen utensils, and you don't need, like, it, they're, they're very easy to work on, and it surprises me to talk to people who work on ARs but are intimidated by Glocks. It's like talking to someone who um, who's a welder and, and having them say they're intimidated by Legos.
3: <laughs>
2: I, don't, I don't know if I like the comparison. The Glo- Legos and Glocks? I don't know if I like that comparison, but all right. Um, well,
3: how
8: about this? I always say
2: uh, Glock guys are the Jeep guys of guns. Yeah, there you go. I like that. I think I like that. I got to think that through. <laughs> so did your old man like it? Was he happy?
8: No, oh, he's very happy with it. We took it to the range. Um, it was very. It, it was a very pleasant shooter because of the one-inch thick uh, Pac-Meyer decelerator recoil pad I had them put on the stock when I ordered it. Awesome.
2: All right, man. Cool. Awesome. Great job. I think that's a great gift. Thank you, as always, and good job.
8: Thanks for having me on. As always, um, fun segment, fun question, lots to talk about there.
2: Yep. All right, let's check in. Do a little. Uh, you don't know Jack, son. You don't know Jack, son. Still working on that. Sorry. <laughs> that's awesome. How you doing, man? Good. Did you go to the Christmas party? Yep. What did What did you did you win anything at the Christmas party?
3: Um, well two well two things.
2: You won two things at the Christmas party? Yep. Alright, what did you win? I think you won a uh I think you won a spoon, right? No You didn't win a spoon? Nope. What'd you win?
3: I won a very, very sharp knife. A knife. I was close. And red, white, and badass brew coffee.
2: <laughs> Do you drink a lot of coffee? Hey, well, not that much. Not yet, right? Now that you have it, you might drink a lot of it. Yeah. All right. You haven't tried it yet, though. No. It's delicious. You gotta. Don't. I wouldn't drink it before bed, though. <laughs> drink it in the morning because it'll get you all hyped up. Don't want to give him coffee at his age. <laughs> <Wouldn't you> <laughs> crazy. <laughs> all right, cool. But you had fun, and everybody had fun, and.
3: Yep.
2: Yeah, all right, cool. What are you working on this week at uh, Glock Store? Shooting mm-hmm. stuff.
3: Yeah. Congratulations to Thomas. Also, congratulations to Thomas because um, he um, actually had birth to his
2: first son. Oh, congratulations. Awesome. That's your coach. Yep. Awesome job. Thanks, Jackson.
1: All right, folks. Hey, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, YouTube, whatever your favorite flavor is, and please support our great sponsors, San Diego County Gun Owners, U.S. Law Shield, the Dylan Law Group, PRMI Mortgage, Scott Vincent, and Coldwell. Banker Royal Realty, Sage Street Website, National Concealed Carry, and last but not least, our newest partner, American Shooting Shooters at El Cajon. I want to thank Joe Jermisi, Michael Schwartz, Sam the Gunman, Brendan Thomas, and Action Jackson, right here on Gun Owners Radio, FM 961, AM 1170. The Answer.